All right, so we're doing this series called The God Beyond Religion, and in this series, we're looking at how the early church kind of broke down the walls of religion to invite people outside those walls into uh, God's family, into the church. There's some Pew research that came out um, a few years ago that found that the, the perception of Christianity in our society is one that Christianity is very exclusive and very judgmental. But when we look at some of the stories in the early church, we see a diff- different picture of Christianity. We're going to look at one of those stories. And maybe the early church was a little more inclusive than maybe my religious upbringing taught me. So in the first century, the church was going through a really rough time. And one of the, the church leaders named Stephen had been stoned to death for challenging the religious establishment. And as he was being hit in the head with rocks, he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Which is a lot like what Jesus said on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't realize what they're doing. And Paul... The apostle who wrote most of the New Testament was a young man at the time, and his name was Saul. And he was standing by while they were stoning Stephen to death. And he was holding the coats of the people who were stoning him. And he was encouraging the death of Stephen. At this time, the Christians met in homes, and Saul, our young Paul, went from house to house. He was dragging people out of their homes and sending them to prison. Saul was part of the religious establishment of his day. So because of this persecution, the church who met in homes, they scattered. They kind of spread out to escape this persecution. We're not being dragged out of Blakely Hall for having church. And I'm very thankful for that. And some people in the world are being dragged out of their homes for having church and for for worshiping Jesus because the government says it's uh, not allowed or because the other religion that is more powerful than Christianity says it's not allowed. We do still experience hostility here in the Northwest. There's a church in Renton that had a pride display out front last month and an explosive was found on that pride display. When Kylie and I were at Pride Fest in Seattle, We were walking down the street and we stopped at the intersection because it was a red light and it just happened to be at the corner where the protesters were with the bullhorns and the signs. And they were using the Bible to shout hate to say you are not part of God's family because of who you are. And right before the light turned green, I saw one of the protesters violently push one of the participants in pride while they were shouting hate using the Bible. And Kylie and I ran across the street as fast as we could. There's still hostility here from the religious establishment. It still exists here. Sometimes we as Christians are the ones doing what Saul did by telling people you're not welcome here because who you are, because of what you believe. Sometimes we as Christians are the ones saying, go back where you came from. You're not welcome here. The early church was persecuted by the religious, so they scattered, but it didn't stop them from telling people about Jesus. There was a church leader named Philip. He escaped the persecution, and he headed north to Samaria. So, if Issaquah is like Judea, where Jesus was from, Samaria would be north, kind of toward Bellingham. 
So it wasn't too far away. So it was part of Israel. And so Philip escaped north and he began preaching in Samaria. What's interesting about Samaria, just north of where Jesus was from, is that it had been conquered by Assyria in 722 BC. And when it was conquered, the Jewish people that were part of that land became mixed in with the Assyrian non-Jewish people and they intermarried. So the Jews in Judea, where Jesus was from, would look north at Samaria and say, they're not Jews. They're not part of God's family. There's a lot of hostility. So it's kind of radical that Philip would go north to Samaria to say, hey, you all are welcome into God's family. You are part of the kingdom. I grew up Southern Baptist, and I remember as a kid, I thought Catholics were not true Christians. I had an argument with a friend of mine in, in eighth grade who was Assemblies of God. And it was an argument over whether or not you could lose your salvation. And it was heated. It was like a life or death argument. He thought I wasn't a true Christian, and I thought he wasn't a true Christian because of what our differences in beliefs. The Disciples of Christ denomination, which we are a part, was born in the early 1800s, and it was during a time that was so much more extreme in the Christian division than it is now. But if, if you were Baptist, then only Baptists were true Christians. Only Baptists were going to heaven. Everyone else is going to hell. If you were Presbyterian, only Presbyterians were going to heaven. If you were Catholic, only Catholics. Anglican, only Anglicans. Methodist, only Methodists. Lutheran, only Lutherans. Whatever you were a part of, whatever denomination, you had the corner on truth. Everyone else was wrong. Have you experienced this today in any religious denomination? I certainly have, and I grew up in that. They would say things like, you are welcome to attend our service, but because you are not our denomination, you cannot take communion. You cannot be baptized. You're welcome here, but you can't fully participate. You can't fully belong. You can't volunteer. I know churches today who say the same thing. 1807, a guy by the name of Thomas Campbell. I forgot to, I have some slides. Thomas Campbell came to America from Ireland. That was a big deal in the early 1800s. To come to America from Ireland, only three out of four ships made it. One in four ships completely vanished never heard from again. So it was a risky thing to get on a ship come to the new world. And he made it. And the day that he arrived, the Presbyterian church was having a meeting. And he just walked into that meeting because he saw a sign. And he became a Presbyterian pastor that day. He got onto the countryside, went through all these little towns that didn't have churches and pastors, and he began preaching. He would set out a bench and he would lay out communion there and he'd stand on a tree stump and he'd give a message and the whole town would come in and listen to him and as he was about to take a give communion he would notice that there were people in the back row that weren't coming forward and he'd go to the back row and said come forward for communion and they'd say I, I can't I'm Baptist I can't I'm Lutheran Thomas Campbell said no God's table is open for everyone Come to the front. You're welcome at the table. Eventually got kicked out of the Presbyterian church for that. 
but he also started the Disciples of Christ, a denomination that said, it's okay that we all disagree on a lot of stuff, but we are going to rally around Jesus, the person of Jesus, and every single person is going to be welcome at the table. That was radical back then. So radical. Thomas Campbell was just following the lead of Jesus, who broke the rules of the religious establishment to welcome people. He was following uh, the, the lead of the early church leaders like Philip, who began to widen the circle of who is allowed in God's kingdom. And one of those stories of Philip comes from Acts 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I have never had an angelic being come out of the sky and say, Devin, take I-90 west to Seattle. (laughs) That has not happened to me. But have you ever had a gut feeling that maybe you need to go somewhere? Maybe you should talk to somebody. Maybe you should call someone. I believe that that gut feeling is something beyond us that goes beyond our rational thinking. I call that the Spirit of God. It tells us maybe we should do something, go somewhere. Follow your gut. You follow your gut, it usually knows something that your head doesn't. I, I think of gut, that gut feeling is God, it's the Holy Spirit. So Philip had that gut feeling. He's walking along the road, and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch. It's a man who's been castrated. He's from Ethiopia. And he was the treasurer of a queen in Africa. Pretty high royal status, high position. And this Ethiopian had come to Jerusalem to worship and was headed home. So if he worshiped in Jerusalem, it means he was a Jewish convert. He was new to the Jewish faith. And the spirit said to Philip, another gut feeling moment, go over to his chariot and join him. That's not awkward at all. Go up to a stranger's chariot and just hop in. So he goes over, gets on the chariot, and meets the guy. And he realizes that the guy is reading the scroll. Back then, they had what was called the Septuagint, which is our Old Testament scriptures. And they didn't have a nice little leather-bound Bible with their name on it. They had scrolls. And he was reading a scroll of Isaiah. And Philip asks the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? And if you've read any verse in the Old Testament, it's confusing. A lot of the Old Testament doesn't make sense. When the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the scroll of Isaiah, he was reading a book that was written three to 500 years before him. So there's a lot of historical context that was missing and religious context and Jewish context and it was written in a different language and he spoke. So the Ethiopian said, how can I understand this stuff if I don't have anyone to teach me? So Philip taught him what that scroll in Isaiah was saying. And Philip made the connection that what Isaiah was talking about was the person of Jesus. And so Philip began to teach this person who Jesus was and what he did and what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be baptized. So you you were baptized, meaning the temple no longer determined if you were clean or not. You were baptized in the water as a representation, a symbol that Jesus is what makes us allowed into the kingdom of God, into God's family. It's not the temple anymore. So they're going along the road after this. The Ethiopian eunuch sees a body of water. He says, look, there's water. What's going to keep me from being baptized right now? And that's a valid question. 
Because in the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 23, it says, No eunuch is to enter the congregation of God. In Leviticus, none of your future descendants who have some kind of imperfection are allowed to offer their God's food. No one who has an imperfection will be allowed to make an offering, include anyone who is blind, crippled, disfigured, or deformed, anyone who has a broken foot or hand, anyone who is a hunchback or too small, anyone who has an eye disease, a rash, scabs, or a crushed testicle. Eunuch. No descendant of Aaron, the priest, who has an imperfection, will be allowed to offer the Lord's food gifts. Since he has an imperfection, he will not be allowed. Is there anyone here who has an imperfection? A scab? Does anyone wear contacts, glasses? Circle of who is allowed in God's family. God's congregation was really, really small. This eunuch was not allowed. That's when he says, what's going to keep me from being baptized into God's family? Philip says nothing. Because of Jesus, what he did, nothing. So they pull the chariot over and they get out and they baptize the Ethiopian eunuch right there. And the one who was not part of, allowed to be part of God's family was welcomed into the community. That was a radical, radical expression of God's grace. This is a passage from Isaiah. This is the scroll that the Ethiopian was reading. Isaiah was written about three to five hundred years after Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what please me, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. He goes on to say that foreigners, those outside of Israel, will be welcomed into God's family. Guys, within the Old Testament, we see a progression of God's love expanding. We often think of the Old Testament as being these old rigid laws that don't really apply to us. Over time, people understood that God is a God of love. And that we need to be making this circle wider and wider and wider. The people who we said, you can, you can show up, but you can't be a part. You can't belong. You can't volunteer. You can't serve in the kids' ministry. You can't lead worship. They realize that's a bunch of bull. That God is bigger than that. His love is bigger than that. So we're going to expand that circle. And we are going to welcome all people so that they can experience wholeness in their lives. And healing and peace and love. In Isaiah, the Old Testament, we see a progression of that understanding. Jesus takes it even further. The early church takes it even further. Guys, we're still taking it further. Slavery is no longer a moral institution even though some passages in the New Testament do not condone slavery. Why? Because the Spirit of God moving through us and in us is teaching us that God is still moving. God is still teaching to grow the circle even wider and bigger to welcome people in God's family. If you go to a Benedictine monastery, 
One, they make really good beer. Two, you'll often see on the walls, treat everyone as Christ. Everyone that you look at, everyone you come across. Don't see them for how they look, where they came from. Look at them as if you are looking in the eyes of Christ. Mother Teresa said, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one is leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. That is the heart of following Jesus. It goes uh, from Matthew 25 where Jesus says, how you treat the least of these is how you treat me. Every person, regardless of color of their skin, gender, sexuality, socioeconomic status, whether or not they have a home or whether or not they're on the street asking for money, whether or not they are a liberal, whether or not they are a Democrat or a Republican, every person you see, see them as Christ and treat them as if you are talking to Jesus Christ himself, the one who brings wholeness and healing to the world. Throughout our lives, we have these like unexpected encounters, these moments you weren't planning for. And a Greek philosopher in 500 BC, Heraclitus said, if you don't expect the unexpected, you will never find it. The reason that Philip went down that road and met the Ethiopian eunuch and welcomed him into God's family was because he felt that nudge. If we're not open to it, if we're not aware of it, we may forget that it's even there. What would happen if we started our day just being open to the nudge? Open to how uh, God wants us to move. God, what do you want me to, who do you want me to talk to today? What can I offer the people I come in contact to today? Mother Teresa said, love starts with a smile. If you want to treat someone with love, a good place to start if you're not sure how to actually do that, give them a smile. And uh, the friends that Kylie and I have from Springfield who uh, had no home were homeless. Um, they said, the hardest thing is not, not having a home. The hardest thing is being ignored when people walk by you. The hardest thing is when somebody doesn't even want to look you in the eye. You want to look at someone as if they were Christ. Start with looking them in the eye and smiling. <laughs> and then see what happens. Treat them as Christ. This Thanksgiving, uh, Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers. Anyone excited about that? Bring your Kleenex to the theater. Mr. Rogers said, Fred Rogers, imagine what our neighborhoods, our real neighborhoods would be like if each of us offered just one kind word to another person. I love that because... Jesus said the two most important things are love God and love your neighbor. And when he said who your neighbor was, he talked about a person who did not look or think or act 
like them, like his listeners. Your neighbor is the person who does not look or think or act like you. And it's not some crazy act of service where you sell everything you have and give it to someone necessarily. It can be a kind word that's powerful. And for our friends that we knew on the street, for some of them, a kind word is what kept them going one more day. A kind word is powerful. It's a big deal. It's an expression of God. It's a way to widen the circle. When the religious establishment or society, systemic issues like, like racism push people to the outskirts, we as followers of Jesus, of the uh, disciples of Christ, will go to those outskirts and say, come on back in. I see you. I hear you. I want to learn from you. We need you. And that is your responsibility as followers of Jesus. So here's the challenge this week for myself, for each of us. When, when we come across someone we'd prefer to ignore, and honestly for me, sometimes it's even the checkout person at the grocery store. I just don't even, I'm tired, I just don't even want to engage. You come across someone that you prefer to ignore. Look them in the eye. Smile. How are you? How's your day going? I really like that shirt. <laughs> Something. Say a kind word. I honestly believe with all my heart that that is how the kingdom of God will come into this world. I honestly believe with out of doubt. That, that is how our world will begin to heal. Our world is divisive. And it's because we refuse to see the other as our friend, as our neighbor, as like us. So let's start with some eye contact and a smile and a kind word. And by doing that, we will express Christ to people. We show people Jesus.